Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Welcome back to another one of our distance learning opportunities. I, I hope that you've been enjoying this series uh, much more than I've been enjoying the actual distance learning that's been going on in my home. Um, that's not so great, but, but this has been fun. Studying the book of Daniel, learning from their distance learning experience. and and. I've just loved th this book. I've, I've been amazed by it, actually. Uh, I, one of the things that has been so exciting is, is the amount of history that is in this book in particular. Now, we, we can say that about our entire Bible. Uh, this is a book that makes a lot of historic claims. In fact, um, if you were to uh, put this book, okay, our Bible up against any other, any other religious text, um, both of that day, you know, a long time ago or today, um, you would find that this book makes more historic claims than any other religious book. And that's a really good thing. Um, however, making historic claims actually um, can be dangerous. There are some, you know, some religious texts that make historic claims that have been falsified, that have said like, you know, that, that didn't really happen. Um, but that's the cool thing about the Bible is that there's not, there's not been any historic claims that have been falsified. In fact, the more that we learn from, from you know, even modern history, what, we're, what they're studying from archaeology, the more we find that it backs up what was already in here. And today, we've got an example of that that is just, I, this is beyond what I can explain. I can't believe that this is happening today, that we are actually studying this passage today, and I want to explain why. You see, uh, this is, uh, uh, this passage in Daniel chapter 5 that we're going to be looking at is actually, um, it makes a lot of historic claims, but not only is this verified, but this is one of those dates, this is, there's a very few of these in our Bible that we can actually pinpoint the exact date that this happened, okay? N not just the exact year, but I'm saying we can actually pinpoint the exact day that this is happening, okay? In fact, we learn from uh, this, this, uh, uh, this book called the, His the, uh, the ne Nabonidus Chronicle. Okay, Nabonidus, we're going to meet him in just a minute. He's Belshazzar's dad. Nabonidus Chronicle uh, tells us some really interesting things. And what, what it tells us is that this event that we're going to study here today was actually the event that... that uh, Moves, moves the uh, Babylonian Empire, the end of the Babylonian Empire, into the Persian Empire. This is the very moment that that happens. And what, they, what it tells us, the Nabonidus Chronicle tells us, that that happened on the 16th year of, the, of Tishri. Okay? That is the, the Jewish, uh, the seventh month of the Jewish lunar calendar. Okay? So now, um, just so happens that the 16th day of Tishri, would have actually, in the year 539 BC, that that day would have actually been October 11. Now, I, I want you to just stop for a second and think, um, what day is it today? Do you know? Of course you don't, we're in the middle of COVID. But if you're watching this on Sunday, today is October 11. 
that, that actually this happened uh, 2,559 years ago exactly today. Now, if God didn't want us to talk about this today, I, I just don't know. Uh, so this is what we're going to be studying today. And we're going to dive into the text. I, I, you, I, I can't tell you how much I geeked over that uh, over this week, probably way too much. But I really wanted you to see that this book is reliable. And so let's dive in to what God's word says to us today. Now, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5 today, but before we, we begin our text, I got to point out that there is a large break of time between uh, chapter 5 verse 1 and uh, what happened before in chapter 4. The events of chapter 4 take place about 43 years before what happens in chapter 5. And so there is a long break and Daniel doesn't even mention the fact that there are four other kings that, that rule before this guy in verse 1. It begins verse 1. Uh, King Belshazzar. Now, before we get to what he does, King Belshazzar is the one who's in control right now, okay? Um, but I got to point out something. That King Belshazzar was actually technically not king. That King Belshazzar is what I like to call a wannabe king. What that means is that uh, he, he told everyone that he was king. He pretended like he was king. He acted like he was king. And sure enough, I'm sure he told people like Daniel, who, remember, was a slave, an important slave, but still a slave. I'm sure he told him that he was king. And you see, uh, he wasn't actually king. Uh, his father was still king. In fact, uh, let me give you a brief uh, kind of timeline of what happened since Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the last king. He was the most powerful of the Babylonian kings. Uh, and and uh, that was the last king that we had met. Well, what we learn from history is that it's dangerous to be uh, a, a son or daughter of a king, right? Um, and sure enough, that's, that's what happens to uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's kids. Um, it's, all, it's, a, it's a big mess. What happens is uh, after Nebuchadnezzar dies, um, his first son uh, was king for only two years. He was then killed by his brother-in-law. All right, so this would have been uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law killed his brother-in-law. And that guy reigned for four years. That's not bad. At which point, uh, his son, um, now this would have been King Neb's uh, grandson, now becomes king. That kid, unfortunately, only uh, was king for two months until he was assassinated by a guy who claimed to be Nebuchadnezzar's other grandson. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the same guy that, that, that the Chronicle was written about. That is Belshazzar's father. Now, uh, what we know from history is that, that King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, sorry, King Nabonidus was actually the last ruling emperor of Babylon. He wasn't loved much. And one of the reasons he wasn't loved is because he often just left town and he left his son in charge. And sure enough, his son is the one who liked to be called king. And so he called himself king. And what do you do if you're not really king? If you're a wannabe king, but you don't really have the power, what do you do? Well, you throw a party like you were the king. He threw a lavish party. Verse 1 says that, uh, that King Belshazzar threw a great feast. And it says that it was for a thousand people. 
A party for a thousand people isn't just a party. This is a rager, right? This is, this is supposed to be a party that, that they would never forget. And sure enough, it would be a party that they don't ever forget, but I don't think it was for the same reasons. Daniel makes a point to say that Belshazzar drank wine in front of the thousand. Then in verse 2, it says, Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, okay? He'd already drinking wine, and now it's saying he had tasted the wine. Now, just to be clear, I think this is a gentle way of Daniel saying that he had had too much to drink. This wasn't his first taste of wine. The wine had now had an effect on him, and it was impairing his judgment. And what we're going to see is that what he does next is because of that. And see, I, I just have to point out that that's why we have to be careful with alcohol. Uh, that's why that it, it, people make dumb, thing, dumb decisions uh, when they drink too much. And, uh, and this, is, this is exactly the same reason why uh, we, we tell you, and especially uh, kids out there, um, you just can't, you can't, you can't get behind a wheel. Um, after drinking. Um, it's just stupid to do that. And see here, we're going to see Belshazzar make stupid decisions because he was drinking too much. And there's just too many stories of people making dumb decisions, ruining their life because they're not careful with alcohol. Belshazzar here, he wasn't careful. And we're going to see that he just gets carried away. So verse 2 continues uh, that Belshazzar commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, had, uh, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, that uh, he brought, um, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. You see, Belshazzar, the, the wannabe king, wants to make this a memorable night. And so I, I, I'm just picturing him saying to himself, what's better than drinking from a king's goblet? Drinking from God's goblet. Here he, he goes and ha takes the, the vessels that were set apart for the worship of Yahweh. The vessels that were taken by Nebuchadnezzar back when he raided Jerusalem a long time ago, he takes those, pours them full of wine, and then passes them around. But not only that, he goes a step further. And verse 4 says, They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They use these these vessels that were made for Yahweh to praise idols. And this turned a corner from a, a fun and games night, kind of like a fun time, into a bold and intentional act of rebellion against the God of Judah. The question becomes, why would Belshazzar do this? You know, clearly we know from history that the, the, all of the, the, the Babylonian kings were, I mean, they were definitely paranoid. Uh, they were definitely superstitious. So why in the world would he, a king, taunt uh, God of the Bible? Why would he taunt Yahweh? Um, it's clear that he's doing that boldly. And so why would he do that? Well, um, rabbinic, rabbinic tradition um, tells us a, a reason why he might do that. 
You see, they suggest that uh, this big party that Belshazzar had just thrown, okay, this big party of a thousand people, they suggest that it was actually celebrating the fact that Babylon had lasted longer than a prophet of this same Yahweh had predicted it would. You see, way back when Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem, uh, back when he did take those vessels, there was a prophet named Jeremiah. And it's recorded in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 12, that, that Jeremiah prophesied against Babylon, saying that after 70 years, or after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for the, in their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And here is King Belshazzar claiming to be king, and it's the 70 year time hit. And so he got through that, is what the rabbis teach, and then thought, all right, I'm safe. So he threw a party. Well, unfortunately, his math was off by just a little bit. Because what we're going to see is that very night, judgment falls. And so little did he know, but destruction was still close at hand extremely close. And this was why, uh, this is what explained his fear when w verse 5 happens. It says that uh, Im immediately, okay, they drink. And immediately a hand appears. The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. I just picture a huge hand, a, a massive hand writing on a wall, and he was scared. It says that the king's color changed, his thoughts alarmed him, his limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. So, so what does he do? He's, he's scared to death right now, right? There's a floating hand writing on his wall. And, and he doesn't know what it says. He can't read it. And so what does he do? He calls the usual suspects together. He goes and gathers all of the enchanters and astrologers and diviners. He gets together the wise men. And just like other times that, uh, that those same group of people were called in the book of Daniel, uh, they are absolutely useless. Even though there's, there's, a, uh, there's a reward involved. He says, uh, anyone, anyone that can read this, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. But with, even with the, the winning lottery ticket on the line, they couldn't do anything. It says they couldn't read it or tell the king what it meant. So verse 9, so King Belshazzar became even more terrified. Uh, his face got even more paler, and his lords, it says, were perplexed. They're just looking around, thinking, what in the world is going on? And at this point, uh, the queen uh, speaks up. Now, uh, more than likely, this is probably the queen mother. Uh, this this might have been Belshazzar's mom, or it could have even been his grandma. It could have been someone related to Nebuchadnezzar, someone who most likely was around during the days of Nebuchadnezzar 43 years earlier, because the queen mother uh, probably uh, knew something about what was going on. In fact, she tells us that. 
Uh, she says, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. In verse 11, she says, there is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. She talks about in the days of your father, in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. She tells the story of all the great things that he did. Uh, she, she says that he has wisdom, that he has this excellent spirit, that there was this man, Daniel, who has an excellent spirit and that he was able to interpret dreams. She speaks him up and she builds him up. And she says, now let Daniel be called and he will show you the interpretation. And so verse 13, Daniel was brought in before the king. So here we are. 43 years after Daniel had done anything, at least anything worth writing about, uh, he's called up. Here we have the, the old wise sage being brought out of retirement. It's like we have the, the old Jedi who is being called out to fight one more battle. Here, Daniel's like Luke Skywalker, and he is, he's ready to do battle one more time, but in a different way. Belshazzar asks him, 80-year-old Daniel, he asks him and pleads with him, begs him to help. Daniel says this to a king. He says, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. But before he reads it, Daniel, of course, like any good preacher, he needs to get one more sermon in. And so he does. He preaches a sermon before he tells Belshazzar what's going on. In fact, if you need to know what that sermon was, it was last week's sermon. Uh, Ryan preached the same sermon. In fact, uh, he retells the same story. He retells uh, the story about how Nebuchadnezzar was prideful and how he fell and became like an animal. And... It says this until in verse 21, until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets uh, and sets over them anyone he wishes. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he changed. But Daniel makes a contrast here because Belshazzar has not and he does not. And so it doesn't say that Daniel pointed his finger in Belshazzar's face, but his words have the same effect. He says, and you, his son, and notice in your Bible, you probably have a little notation and it says that that could mean, uh, that could mean descendant or successor, that you, the successor of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all of this, but you have lifted yourself against the Lord of heaven. You have set yourself up high. You have made yourself great instead of making God great. Do you see what's going on here? Belshazzar is guilty of the same sin that Nebuchadnezzar was guilty of, but he didn't learn the same lesson. In Emmanuel Faith, I can't promise you that you will have another opportunity to learn this lesson. 
I, I can't tell you that you're going to be able to hear this message again. Don't wait until tomorrow to humble yourself. Tomorrow is too late. You may not have tomorrow. You may not be able to change tomorrow. Here's the principle that I want you to hear today. This is what I want you to write down. And that is that tomorrow is too late to do the right thing. Tomorrow is just too late. Today is the only day that you need to worry about. It's the day that you need to worry about doing the right thing. Um, you can't just hope that, that maybe tomorrow you'll make the right decision, that you'll do better then. And you also can't just be proud of yourself for what you did yesterday. Today is the day that matters. Because like Belshazzar, you may not have tomorrow. In verse 25, Daniel finally reads the words that were written on the wall. And they read, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Four words. Now, there's not a clear reason why all of those wise men that the king had recruited, why they couldn't actually have read those words. Uh, they were actually very common words in a common language that was known to them at that day. It was in Aramaic. Uh, in fact, these are Aramaic words for coins. And so on the surface, they actually have a clear meaning. Um, a mene is the word for a, a, a the Greek mina, which is a coin. And, uh, and that coin, um, his value was 50 shekels. The word tekel was the Aramaic word for shekel. And then uh, the, word, the word pares is, is actually a word that, uh, uh, that means half of a, of, a, of a shekel. So it's a coins. They're, they're all coins. Um, seems like that would have been clear. The most obscure thing would have been the meaning. But Daniel says it plainly. In verse 26, he says, the interpretation of the matter this is the interpretation of the matter, he says. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. See, Daniel takes the stem of a word, and you can do this in Hebrew and Aramaic because actually the, originally they didn't have any vowels in them. And so you could actually change the, the, the way that a, the word is pronounced and it changes the meaning from a noun to a verb. And that's what he does here. Uh, he takes the, 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 the Aramaic word mene and he changes it to menah by just changing the vowels. And that meant numbered or counted. Um, his point is, Belshazzar, your days are numbered. Verse 27, Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. If you pronounce Tekel, uh, Tekal, uh, it means weighed or judged or evaluated. Verse 28 says, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So, so finally, with this one, if you pronounce Perez, Peras, it becomes divided or broken or, or even destroyed. And then, just for fun, Daniel adds this, that if you, because if you change the word then again to Paras, same, same consonants with different vowels, it becomes Persians. So, what Daniel is doing here is taking these words and interpreting them for him. And what he's saying is, Mene, your days are numbered. He's saying, Tekel, your life has been found lacking. It's been found wanting. 
and perish. Your kingdom is divided and destroyed. Now, here's the thing. Belshazzar, as soon as he heard this, he didn't seem to argue with it. He didn't complain about it. He, he knows deep within him that this is accurate. And so, all it says that he does is in verse 29, it says, He gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. This would have been great news. It lasted a little longer because, unfortunately, Daniel's promotion was very short-lived. Because in verse 30, it says, That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So those last two verses at the very end, those are the, that's the reason why we can date this event with such precision. You see, because what just happened was a change in empire. Okay, the Babylonians fell when Belshazzar dies, and Darius the Mede is the one who brings in the Persian Empire. And so this is, this is a moment in history that is written about all over the place. In fact, we learn uh, from the historian Herodotus, we learn uh, the way that they actually did this, the way that the Persians came in. Because what we hear is that this party that Belshazzar was having was actually took place while the Persians were besieging the, the city of Babylon. Okay? They were at the gates and Belshazzar still had a party. And he did that because what, Herodotus tells us about the, the walls of Babylon is that they were massive. He tells us that, that uh, they were said they were 56 miles long. They were 80 feet thick, he says, and 320 feet high. And so, of course, Belshazzar and all his lords, they thought that they could just have a party while there's an army at their gates. However, one of the things that Belshazzar, being the wannabe king that he was, didn't really think about is that there was a weakness. And Herodotus tells us what that weakness was, and it's, it's, it's water. You see, the, the water supply that fed the city of Babylon was, was maybe a bigger river than the kind of things we have in California, um, but it fed the city, and it, there was water rushing through. Now, when the water was full, the way it normally was, when the river was coming at normal speed, you couldn't enter in through the water. However, what the Persians did is they, they built a dam, slowly built a dam to, 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 to stop the water from flowing just a little bit. Not so much that, that, that the Babylonians would notice, especially when they're having a party, but they slowed the flow of the water just enough so that they could sneak in under the walls the way that the water comes in. And sure enough, what he tells us is that it was that very night, that's the way they got in, and they killed King Belshazzar. So here we have Belshazzar throwing a party. Not only did he have literal writing on the wall, but he couldn't read the figurative writing on the wall that something bad was about to happen to him. And Emmanuel Faith, I... I I just want you to know that I don't want us to be people who ignore the writing on the wall. 
that we need to learn something from this. And today I, I want to ask you, can you read the writing on the wall? Because there's a message in this for you today. There's a message that, that's for us. It's for me as well. And I think that the message is actually the same message that Belshazzar got. You want to know what it is? The message for us today is, is mene, mene, tekel, parson. I think these words apply today for you and for me. Mene, your days, they're numbered. Tekel, your life has been found lacking. And Perez, your kingdom is divided and destroyed. Now, let me, let me go back through these again, because I, I, I think that actually uh, there's two of these that are exactly the same message for us today, and only one that we can change. First one, Mena, your, your life is definitely numbered, okay? Mine is too. And I don't say that to scare you. I'm not saying that God has like somehow planned your death and it's coming soon. I can, I, of course, that's not, what, that's not what the Bible says. That's not the way that God acts. That's not what he's doing. Um, that isn't the point. I, I want you to realize today that your, your life is numbered and it's actually, it's actually limited. That, that you, there's going to be an end. That we will not live here forever. I hope that none of us, none of our ends will be as soon as it was uh, for Belshazzar. However, this is one of the things that's a guarantee in life, and that is death. That, have you seen the, the, the percentages on death lately? They're getting pretty close to 100%, you know? Um, it happens to all of us. It's the equalizer of everybody, the rich, the poor, the powerful, the, the wealthy. Everyone suffers the same fate. Death is an equal opportunity offender. And so the message for you today is many. Your life is numbered. The second message is tekel. Uh, you haven't lived up to the standard. You've been weighed in the balance. I have been weighed in the balance. And our lives don't measure up. And I don't care who you are. I don't care uh, how great you are. I don't care how many great things you've done, how many nice things you've done. I don't care how much money you've given. I don't, that's just not the point. The truth is all of us have, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have been weighed in the balance and our lives have been found lacking. You see, because uh, the, the balances that we're weighed against, the balance is Jesus on the other side of that is Jesus, and Jesus, his life, his goodness far outweighs ours. We can't and don't even stand a chance up to him. So those two messages are the same, mene and tekel. And yet here's one that's different. Because I think we have, we have something to learn from this that's a little different than what Belshazzar had. And so the last word is peres. But, but I want you to know something a little different. And that is that your kingdom doesn't have to be divided and destroyed. You see, uh, Belshazzar's kingdom was divided. He had given allegiance to the wrong king. And thus he was destroyed. But if you remember last week, Ryan talked about the fact that we kind of all have our own kingdoms. Some kingdoms are, are bigger than others. Uh, some of them, you know, are, are greater. Some of us have more power, all those things. Uh, but 
all of us have our own kingdoms and all of us want to be king of our castle, right? So what does that mean for you? It, it means that you and I, we are wannabe kings. I'm a, I'm a wannabe king. It, we're actually not that much different than Belshazzar. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus' application here is you cannot serve God and money. And, and of course, he's right. But the application that I want you to hear today is that you cannot serve God and yourself. You see, I cannot serve King Jesus and King Josh. Not at the same time. In fact, it does say I can go ahead and serve King Josh. It's just that if I do, I'm going to end up the same way that King Belshazzar did. As a wannabe king whose kingdom is divided. His kingdom was divided and given to his enemy. And I don't want that to happen to you or to me. And so let's turn our focus off of ourselves. realize that we can't serve two masters, and let's be people who serve and follow King Jesus. Let me put it this way. You can't be a wannabe king while proclaiming that Jesus is king. You might want to write that down. You just can't be a wannabe king while proclaiming Jesus as king. So what's it going to be? Are you going to hold on to your little kingdom? Are you going to try to continue to be king yourself? Are you going to try to continue to, to live your life your way? Or are you willing? Or is today the day when you can finally say, I'm done trying to be king. I don't want to be king anymore. And Jesus, I want you to be king of my life. Today is the day when I want to invite you to say, Lord, Lord Jesus, would, would you be my king? If that's your prayer today, I, I want you to join me in praying that very prayer with me. Let's bow together as we close. Lord God, we ask, I ask, would you be my king afresh today? God, would, would you be the one that this is all for would you be the one that I live my life for? I'm tired of living for myself. I realize that my days are numbered. I realize that I don't add up, that my life is just not good enough. I don't add up to Jesus. And because of that, I don't want my life to be divided, to be destroyed. I don't want my kingdom to be divided. I want my kingdom to be entirely yours. And so, Jesus, I give it to you today. I say and I proclaim that, Jesus, you are my king. Would you be my king? And would you give me your heart to live in your ways? Jesus, be our king today. It's in your great and powerful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go worship that same Jesus together now. God bless.
Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.